right. Good morning, everyone. Thank you all for inviting uh, me into your church this weekend. It's a real privilege. Again, my name is Rob Reno. I lead an organization called Visionary Family Ministries. I'm from Wheaton, Illinois. Let me put a picture of my family up here to introduce them to you. There's my wife, Amy. We just celebrated 25 years of marriage together. God's blessed us with seven children, our W, Lissy, J.D., Laney, Millie, Ray, and Rush. Boy, girl, boy, girl, girl, boy, boy. Uh, 22, 20, uh, 17, 15, let's say 12, <laughs> 10 and 6. Uh, I'm on the road every other weekend. I always have somebody from my family with me. This weekend, I've got Ray and Rush uh, down here, my two sons, so wave hi to them. So we're having a, a great time. We just spent the last two days at a church in Fresno uh, doing a parenting and grandparenting conference, and Luke and I have been friends for a number of years, and, and uh, once we knew I was close, he uh, honored me with the invitation to come and share with you, uh, share with you today. Uh, in, a, in an hour at the church service, I'm going to share a little bit more of my testimony and my spiritual background. Uh, so if we were doing that first, you'd get to know me better before we jump into this subject, so we're going to do it a little bit in reverse. But this morning, uh, in this hour, I want to talk with you about what I believe is, is the most important uh, practice for the Christian family, and that is the practice of family worship. Now, when I say family worship, what I mean is the few bumbling, stumbling moments of family prayer, few bumbling, stumbling moments of family Bible in the home. How many of you grew up in a home that had regular family prayer and regular family Bible? Put your hand up really high for me. Put it up really high. And let's look around a room at those oddballs. Okay. I see some children raising their hands. That's good. All right. But you, you notice not a lot of hands, especially from the adults. Statistically, only 15% of church-going Christians grew up in homes that had family prayer and family Bible in, in the home. And as a result of that, a lot of Christian families today still don't have uh, that practice built in. Now, part of what I'll share with you in the next hour is 2004 was a huge turning point in my life. Amy and I had been married 10 years. We had four children. I was a youth pastor for those first 10 years, and I was so busy ministering to other people's children that I was not ministering to mine. I was so busy spiritually caring for other people's children as the youth pastor at the church that I wasn't being a spiritual leader for my own children. In fact, I had no plan whatsoever to help my kids follow Jesus. I had plans for other people's children to help them follow Jesus. No plans for my kids to help them follow Jesus. I've got a, a video for you. This, this video is just a, an illustration of my parenting strategy when we first started having kids. This was kind of my approach. This was my strategy. This is how we're going to do it. So we got a little video volume. Yeah, here we go. Whoops. Sorry. Ray, I'll let you hit. Go ahead. They have to score on this play or the game's over. Barmore's got three wide receivers to his left and two to the right. He takes the snap. There's only three men rushing for Millsaps. Barmore throws it over the middle, complete to Thompson. Thompson looking for a block. He laterals it to Curry, and Curry laterals it again, and it's caught again. And Tomlin now on the lateral, and now the lateral to Thompson, and he laterals it back to Maddox on the other side. Maddox looking for a block. He fakes the... 
Fakes the lateral to Curry. Now he laterals it to Curry. Curry's at the 49-yard line. He's dancing around. He throws it back now to Maddox, who throws it across the field to Barmore. Barmore looking to run. He's looking for a block. He's got a convoy. He's going to throw it to Thompson. Thompson's at the 30-yard line. Thompson now laterals it back to Curry at the 35. They're running out of spaces. Curry fakes. He's going to lateral it to Tomlin. Tomlin's got a chance to go. Tomlin's got a chance to go. He laterals it. Now he's going to go to Maddox. Maddox at the 30-yard line, and now it's a lateral, and Curry's still going. No way. Curry's no way. Curry hits him. It's a touchdown. It's a touchdown. Curry scores. The game is gone. All right, go away. Okay, how many of you think that's the play the coach drew up in the huddle? Anybody? Yeah, Luke's over here. That's exactly what I would have thrown at him if that was me. No. See, I, here, here's the way it worked for me. When Amy and I got married, uh, I was a Christian, praise God. She was a Christian, praise God. So two Christian people get married, and we both have good intentions. Amen. We mean well. And we thought, well, hey, you get two Christian people together with good intentions, what could go wrong? Well, lots could go wrong. We didn't have any plan, vision, purpose. I didn't have any clue about what the purpose of a family was and what the purpose of being a parent was. That's what we're going to talk about in the next hour in the worship service. And so the first thing that changed after God really turned my heart to my family and convicted me that my ministry for God began in my house, the first thing that changed is we started doing this basic bumbling, stumbling practice of family worship, family prayer, family Bible. And that's what I want to focus on with you this morning. The title for this session, uh, the official title is The Power of Family Worship. The unofficial title is How to Pray and Read the Bible at Home Without Killing Each Other. So that's what we're going to dig into. I am going to do a power walk through this. I'm going to talk to you briefly about the biblical foundation for family worship. In the church service, I will lay a much deeper biblical foundation. I'll talk with you briefly about a historical foundation, some principles, and then we're going to get very practical. How can we, with our kids and grandkids, spend more time in God's Word and in prayer in the house? So first of all, let me start off with a biblical foundation for family worship. Up on the screen, you see this slide. The family is God's primary vehicle for the evangelism and discipleship of children. Sorry for the churchy words there. The family is God's primary vehicle for introducing kids to Christ and helping them grow in their faith. Let me show you this from Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a, a, a scripture, is a big deal in the Bible. We call it the great commandment. Jesus says it is the first and the greatest commandment. If you've been around church, you're familiar with it. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Raise your hand if you've ever heard this great commandment before. Okay. This is the purpose of life. God created you to have a love relationship with him and to love his word. Those are the two foundations of the Christian life. Now, immediately after this great commandment, God speaks to the home. And he specifically speaks to parents and grandparents. Look at this next verse. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children. In other words, hey, if you want to love me, mission number one is help the kids love me. If you want my word in your heart, mission number one is help the kids and grandkids have my word in their heart. Next principle here is that family worship is the engine that powers the Christian family. So the Christian family is God's vehicle to help your kids and grandkids follow Jesus. Family worship, these few bumbling, stumbling moments of family prayer and family Bible, that's the engine that powers your vehicle. 
Let me show this to you again from Deuteronomy 6. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house. So look, love God with all your heart. Oh, yes, God, I want to love you. Thank you for Jesus. Okay, you want to love me? Open my book at home with your family. Talk about me at home with your family. God's word in the home is the first practical command that God gives us after the great commandment to love him with all our heart. How many of you have ever had conversations with your kids about how things were different when you were growing up? You ever do that before? All right. One of the big differences, I think, between uh, kids growing up today and, and when we were growing up is I think kids have lousy cartoons on television compared to what we had. Amen? You remember this one? Okay, remember? Yeah, the Flintstones, right? Kids have no clue what this is. Now, you remember the vehicle. You remember how they powered the vehicle? How they... With the foot, right. So uh, you can't see it in the video, in the picture here, but, but underneath it's open and they're actually going to run under there. And they were pretty fast cars, actually, the way I remember the, the cartoon. Um, it did strike me as I got older. So they are running everywhere they go. So why carry a car? But it's beside the point. So it's a human-powered car. And I want to suggest to you that most Christian families today, many Christian families today, are Flintstone families. Here's what I mean by that. The Christian family faces all sorts of problems. We've got marriage problems, kid problems, sibling problems, money problems, medical problems, church problems. We've got all these problems. And we bring two things to the table to deal with all those problems. Number one, we bring good intentions. Most Christian friends I know have good intentions. They mean well. And we also bring willpower. We're trying. Would it be possible, let me ask you a hypothetical question. Would it be possible... Everywhere your family's going to go, you put the car in neutral and people get out and push. Could you go to the grocery store and school and church? Is it possible to put your car in neutral and push it through town? In theory. Theoretically, could be done. Now, it would take you forever to get anywhere. You'd be exhausted all the time. That's how most Christian families work spiritually. You ever have a big family fight? Mom or dad, grandma or grandpa, you, you say, okay, we got to all get together and talk about this. So you pull everybody together around the, the kitchen table, and, and you talk it through, and you make people say, sorry, it's okay, sorry, it's okay. And then you end with your grand speech. Okay, everybody, we all just need to try so that this doesn't... You tried this before? How'd it work? Not good, yeah. Let's back up the tape, Okay. The reason we're at the table is someone sinned. Someone did something wrong and hurt somebody else's feelings. Now, in my family, when one person sins, eight people sin after them. So it's not just one person. It's a whole big, whole big mess. But, but we're going to have a family meeting. We need a family meeting because we want less sin in the house tomorrow. That's why we're having the meeting. So in order to have less sin in our house tomorrow, we all just need to try so that this doesn't we just need to be better people. Good luck. We don't need to try harder to be better people. We need a supernatural work of God in our hearts. We need our hearts transformed. We need our minds renewed. We're a pretty desperate group in the Reno house. We sin and fall short every single day. We want our kids to have faith. Well, where are they going to have faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. 
So you see these bumbling, stumbling moments where God's Word is open, where we're coming to God in prayer, this is the engine. This is the spiritual engine that powers the Christian family. Now, during the worship service, I'm going to talk with you a little bit about the historical uh, foundation for this. Ray, would you go to the slide that says principles for family worship? Yep, keep on going, pal. Yep, yep, yep. One more. Two more. There we go. Let me give you a couple quick principles here, and then we're going to talk practically. How do we pray and read the Bible at home without killing each other? A couple of principles. Principle number one, family worship is one of the reasons why it's so powerful is that it is the intersection between a right relationship with God and a right relationship with family. Your two most important relationships, your vertical relationship with God and your horizontal relationship with your family, intersect in these few moments of family prayer and family Bible. When a family gathers for family worship, they're just saying, Lord, we want to be right with you, and we want to be right with each other. That's the intersection point. Next slide, Ray. Family worship is more than family devotions. Now, I know you can get into semantics. People will call this different things. They'll call it family devotions, family time, family worship, family altar would be a real old-fashioned way to to say it. You can call it whatever you want. But but here's what I mean by this. Family worship is not Bible class. The number one question that I get practically on family worship is, Rob, how do you do family worship for a 22-year-old and a 6-year-old at the same time? Now, what they mean by that is how do you teach Bible class for a 22-year-old and a 6-year-old at the same time? How do you teach content for a 22-year-old and a 6-year-old at the same time? Well, I don't even think of it like Bible class. I don't have a curriculum that I've got to get through and transfer content from me to them. We we can all pray. Sometimes our prayers are 22-year-old prayers. Sometimes our prayers are six-year-old prayers. We can all sing. We can all just hear the Bible read. And sometimes our conversations uh, uh, leak toward older kids. Sometimes our conversations leak toward younger kids. Sometimes our conversations fall completely flat. You know, sometimes I'm, I'm, I'm leading family worship in our home, and I get the sense that my, my little congregation is eager to conclude. I just pick up on that. It's a tingle that I have. So what do I do? I sense that they're eager to conclude. What do I do? It starts with a C. I conclude, absolutely. I say, hey, it sounds like you guys kind of want to wrap it up tonight. Yeah, Dad, we're really stressed. Whatever. Okay, who wants to pray? No problem. No stress. I'm not like getting through class where you, well, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I'll just try again tomorrow. It's no big deal. Okay? There's times I don't want to be there. I want to conclude, right? I don't blame the kids if they have that feeling sometimes too. Okay, Ray, next slide. Family worship prepares children for worship in the family of God. Family worship prepares children for worship in the family of God. A child who has family worship in the home learns to pray in the home, learns to hear Scripture read and attend their heart to it, children that learn to sing in the home. It trains their spirit up to worship with their big family. Now, I'm not saying that a child, a 10-year-old who has family worship in the home does cartwheels every time he comes into church, but I am saying that their little spirit gets trained and gets equipped. And the child who never has family worship in the home often finds church to be a strange place and the things that happen in a corporate worship service to be strange things. Okay, let me talk with you now about the the practice of family worship. I am going to, in the next uh, two minutes, I'm going to get as intense with you as I will get, 
over the course of the morning, the most in your face. So sit up straight, take a deep breath. He's like, okay, he's going to get intense now, um, just giving you a heads up. So this is as intense as I'm going to get with you as far as this challenge goes. You ready? Here we go. Start somewhere. You're like, wait a minute, that didn't sound very intense. Here's what I mean by that. Start somewhere. I want you to look at what's going on in your home right now as far as spiritual life in the home, prayer in the home, scripture in the home, and I want you to add one small thing. That's the way God grows us, right? Uh, The challenge is not you need to wake up tomorrow at 6 a.m. for an hour of family worship every day for the rest of your life, because that's just not not gonna happen. I learned this. I was I had a couple come to me for counseling and they wanted to get more spiritual life in the home. So I and this was a, a mature Christian couple. I was about 40 years old and pastoring and they were probably 60 pastoring. I'm so and I really looked up to them. I mean imagine a um a, a godly mature couple in your church, you know, comes and wants advice You're like okay. And they said uh, what I always do is I always try to identify what's going on in the home right now spiritually, and what's one small thing we could add? What would be a growth step that would be doable? So I said, hey, let's talk about prayer. And I said, I assume you're praying before meals. What else, uh, what else are you doing with prayer? And they were quiet, and I saw the woman, um, she shifted kind of awkwardly in her seat, which I picked up on the, the awkwardness with my eye. And so I said, did I say something that made you feel uncomfortable? She said, well, you said you assume we pray before meals. And she said, it's been about 10 years since we've done that. Now, again, this is a serious Christian couple, right? And so what was Pastor Rob's grand challenge to them about the next step of family worship in the home? Pray before the meal. meal. How about we spend three months getting that territory back again? And then we'll build from there. So now I want you to put yourself in this man's shoes. They're walking out of pastor's office at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Three hours later, 6 o'clock that night, for the first time in 10 years, he's going to say, hey, how about we pray before we eat? How's he feeling? He's feeling nervous? What else? What else? What's going on inside? Insecure? Pressure to perform? Inadequate? Embarrassed? Now, where's all that coming from? Is that coming from the Lord? It's not coming from his wife. His wife's cheering him on, right? Spiritual attack coming against him. I'm just giving you a heads up. If you want to get your family's spiritual engine in gear and get into first gear and push the gas pedal, you are going to get more resistance. Guaranteed. A parked car doesn't get any resistance. You get in gear and you're going to get some resistance. So I'm just giving you a heads up, especially if you're the, the head of your home. You may be now. I grew up with an atheist dad and a Christian mom, okay? So I didn't have, my father was unable to be a spiritual leader in my home because he didn't even believe in God. So my mom was the spiritual leader of, of our family. Um, so whoever is the spiritual head of the home, okay, just be prepared. If you want to get that family in gear, you are going to face more resistance spiritually, and it's your task to press through. One of the... Um, things that's really helped us with our family worship time is a little proverb. It's not a biblical proverb. It's a a modern proverb, I suppose, from G.K. Chesterton. My wife latched on to this. We even have it on a, uh, it's not a plaque. It's like a, is it a cross stitch or a macrame? What is that? Like if you have a little saying on your wall, cross stitch? What is macrame? Huh? 
It's knots. Oh, yeah, this thing's not macrame. I look at, but focus, Rob, focus. So here's the proverb. The proverb is, if it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Yeah, no, no, this is, this is G.K. Chesterton. This is what's on my wall. If it's worth it, because you're like, no, 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 that's not right. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing well. If it's worth doing, it's worth doing poorly. Here, here's what this means. Let, let me tell you what, what doing family worship looks like if you do it right, okay? Doggone it. Here's what in the Reno house. First of all, it's nine time. Nine time means me and my wife, seven kids, nine of us, and nobody's rushing off to this and rushing off to that. And we got about an hour set aside. And we've got an activity prepared, like an object lesson for the kids that they're going to love. The teenager's ready to lead the singing and song time. I've got the scriptures ready with some questions that are going to take us deep into the heart of God that's going to lead us into a prayer time where we confess our sins one to another, where we then pray for our global missionaries and review our catechism. That's right. And that, my friends, is family worship. Well, how often do I get that, what I just described to you? Who said once a month? Boy, that would be great. I'd love that. The answer is like, by, who said never? Was that you? Oh, okay. never. That is very hurtful, okay? The answer is biannually. What's the, what's the every other year one? Is that biannually? I think it is, okay. So listen, you see, if, if that's what family worship is, if we're going to do it right, I'm gathering my family together every two years. Sometimes family worship looks like this in my house. Kids, your dad's exhausted. Let's pray. God, help these children fall asleep fast. Amen. Okay, gone, all of you. You're like, well, well, that's not very good family worship. I'm sorry, it's just all I've got right now, okay? Sometimes family worship, all I've got is I'm late for work, so it's a proverb on a napkin on the breakfast table. People come down to find a proverb on a napkin. Well, that's your family worship time. Look, I'm sorry, I'm late. I'm better. See, better to do a little something very poorly as daily or as often as I can than one big, awesome mountaintop thing every other year. Now, here's what I want to do. You're all taking notes. I want to give you six elements of family worship, six elements of family worship. You can write these down, activity, singing, Bible reading, discussion, prayer, and catechism. Now, as you're jotting those down, it's very important that I clarify the list of six things. My message for you this morning is not when you sit down for family worship, thou shalt do one, two, three, four, five, six. That is not the message today. These are just six tools in your toolbox. Sometimes the grandkids will come over and you'll take out number two and number five. Sometimes you'll sit down and you'll do number one and number four. Sometimes you'll sit down and you just do number six. Okay, these are just tools in the toolbox. You reach in, you take out one, two, three, four, five, six of them. This is mix and match to fit your time fit your kids' ages, fit your family situation. You got that? So let me walk through each one of these with you. Activity, activity. Some of the best family worship times come in our family when I put a little bit of preparation into an activity or an object lesson or a game that particularly the elementary school kids can engage with and get excited about that connects with our Scripture of the day. Now, my problem with activities is I'm not a creative person, and I hate crafts. I hate them. They, they paralyze me. So if you say you can teach your kids a wonderful gospel lesson with popsicle sticks and glue, this is not happening. I don't have popsicle sticks, and I'm just, I'm just not doing that. So if there's an activity, I had better, if there's supplies needed, I had better be able to see them from where I'm sitting, okay? 
So one of the activities we do a lot is uh, Bible charades. You know what charades are? You, you think of a, a history from the Bible. We call them histories, not stories. Think of a history from the Bible and, uh, and act it out, and we'll try to guess what it is. Now, Ray over here, my 10-year-old, when he was a, a younger man, uh, five, six years old, he was a very gifted dyer. Like, oh, oh, oh. Like he could die really good, like act dying. So his older sister would say, oh, I got a, I got a charade I want to do, but I need Ray. Well, you know somebody's going to die. That's why she's picking him. So they're acting it out, and then he'd be like, okay, man, do it, do it. And he would, he would die. From a charade standpoint, it doesn't really help you because so many people die in the Bible that it doesn't like really narrow it, narrow it down. But, um, but that was something that, that we do. I would, you know, over, over the years, I'll do puppet shows. You're like, oh, okay, now I get it. You're like a puppet guy with a puppet theater and all this. No, I have a coffee table and a sock. Okay, that's all I've got. I lay down by on the coffee table and I put my sock on and I act out something from the Bible or whatever. Uh, I, I don't do a ton of puppet shows. I'll do, I'll do my favorite show for you right now. Could I do that? Would you like a puppet show? Yeah, yeah let's do it. Okay. Um, well, I don't have my supplies. Oh, there's something. Okay. Now, don't you dare throw me a sock. That, that is a dark memory. I was, I was at family camp, and I was sharing this illustration. A, a sock flies up on the stage. And I'm like, sweet, that'd be awesome. So I go over, and I put my hand in it, and it's warm and wet. It was summer camp, summer camp in Wisconsin. Now, I'm a professional, you understand? So, I mean, I keep my composure. I keep things together, and I do this illustration. Everything goes fine. I get done, and uh, my, my wife was sitting right down here, uh, and I come down, and it's lunch. I go, hey, honey, how you doing? You ready to go get lunch? She's like, don't you touch me. Put your hand in that filthy man's sock. She doesn't talk like that. I just, I have limited girl voices. That's my favorite, but okay. So, um, if, if I had my sock, it'd be obvious this was a dog. Without my sock, I have to tell you. So I'm going to act out a verse from the Bible, and you're going to tell me what the verse is, okay? Again, sorry I don't have my coffee table and everything I need. I know. It's awesome. Anybody know the verse? As a dog returns to his vomit, Luke, you know the second part of the verse? Because that's like the whole point. So a fool returns to his folly. You ever seen a dog do this? It's one of the most viscerally disgusting things you'll ever see. But you watch. Why not look away? But we don't look away. You see it happening, right? And you're like, ah, it's horrible. So God, God takes this, like, you know, universal human experience. We've all had this. And, and he says, hey, just as gross as a dog doing that is a person going back and doing the same thing over and over and over again. All right, now, some of you are here, and you're like, all right, Rob, listen. Okay, activity, you know, object lessons. Oh, we, we have a, a resource that we, uh, that we wrote about family worship. It's called Family Worship Genesis. They all sold out in Fresno, so I don't have any for you today. Um, but you can order them, or you can get them on Amazon or whatever. And uh, <clears throat> the first... Uh, Genesis chapter 1, we give families an activity. Here's what we have you do. Um, get your grandkids, okay, and get Scrabble out of the closet, okay, and give them a handful of Scrabble tiles, 
and say, I want you to drop all the Scrabble tiles on the ground, and I want you to spell your name first and last in perfect order. Just drop the Scrabble tiles, and I want them to spell your name first and last across the floor. So they say, they drop them, and oh, rats. And Ray will say, oh, I got an R, I got an R. No, no, I want all the letters in order. And they drop them and drop them. Obviously, not going to be done, okay? And then you go into Genesis chapter 1, that things, this world's not here by chance. God put it in a very particular order, and so we're just trying to give object lessons. Now, you're here, and you're like, look, Rob, I got a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old, and I'm not sure the puppet shows and the Bible charades is going to fly with my 16 and 14-year-old. I agree. You know, these activities are, are really great for elementary school kids, but there are some activities you can do with teenagers, and most of them involve fire. <laughs> so you go to your 16-year-old grandson, and you say, hey, you want to burn something with your granddad? Now shut off that smoke detector. It's going to be big. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, okay, what are we burning? And then so burn something and then go to any section of the Bible that talks about fire. Elijah and the prophets of Baal, day of Pentecost. I don't care, right? Pick your thing. It's going to be awesome. Okay, let's, uh, let's talk about singing. Singing. How many of you, i got to check, keep an eye on the clock. All right, how many of you uh, sing in church? You sing in church. Okay, now I don't mean worship team. I mean like regular folk. Miss down here, what's your name? you. Yes. Patty. Okay, wonderful. Patty, you sing in church? Is this your church? Your home, your, your home church? Wonderful. And, um, but you're not worship team girl? Oh, you are? Okay, I need, I need a non-professional, please, yes. And I need a girl. Yeah, you're boys. I, hey, I love you all. I just need... Oh, okay, yes, miss. Tell me your name. Rebecca. Now, I'm, is this your grandfather, Ray? Yeah. Yeah, okay. You're like, how does he know that? I, I talked to him. Okay, hi, Rebecca. So, Rebecca, you sing in church. Like, next hour we're going to sing and you're going to sing? Huh? You're going to sing, right? But you're not worship team girl? Okay, good. Um, <clears throat> so, I want you to imagine, this, this actually might happen. Let's say there's an open seat next to you. Okay, let's say you move away from Grandpa. Uh, there's an open seat next to you, and during the service, a visitor or a guest comes in and sits down next to you. Uh, would you still sing? Okay, Rebecca, I didn't set that up properly. It's not you, it's me. Um, Stranger danger. Unknown human. Next to you, a person you've never met before, would you still sing? Yes, but cautiously. Okay, I appreciate that. But you still would sing even though there's a total stranger next to you. Wow, you are very spiritual. I appreciate that. How many of you, you're like, leave her alone. How many of you are just like Rebecca and you'd sing next to a total stranger in about an hour? Wow. It's a very spiritual group, Pastor. Incredible. And you know what? I believe you. But as soon, that's right. but as, soon as I say, hey, hey, how about singing at home with your family? You're like, oh, I don't know. That's pretty awkward. <laughs> Next to a total stranger out here in public, fine. At home with your loved ones, no, I'm really not doing that. So what we do is we have our teenagers pick the worship songs and put them on YouTube on the TV Okay, with the lyrics and stuff like that, and we sing along. Or if you've got musical people with musical instruments. Now, in my family, there's, there's eight uh, musically gifted people with one odd man out. Right? Be me. I can make a joyful noise to the Lord, and I do. He likes it. People don't, and I don't care. Um, but this is just a, a gift that God's given you. Now, again, you've got uh, 18-year-old and 14-year-old at home, and so you come home from this morning, and you say, we're going to start singing together. Okay, maybe that's not the first tool you take out of the toolbox. You got two, four, and six kids or grandkids at home, and uh, you go home and you say, we're going to start singing together. 
What do they say? Woohoo! Right? And now we're going to grow into a family that sings together. Let's talk about this next one, Bible reading, Bible reading. One of the uh, other big questions that I get is, Rob, do you have a curriculum for family worship? Do you have a guide? Do you have a book? Do you have a curriculum, a guide, a book? And we ask that because a lot of us didn't grow up like that. We feel kind of insecure. What are we going to do? So we feel like we need a little crutch, and that's fine. Uh, our family worship resource is called Family Worship Genesis. Again, sold out, but Amazon or wherever you want to get it. Now, so there are resources out there that can help you, but I want you to forget about those for just a minute because I want to tell you what the curriculum for family worship is. Get the Bible, open it, read it as if it were the very words of God and that you believed it with all your heart. That's the curriculum. You want your kids to have faith? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Now, maybe you've got uh, children's Bibles at home. We love the Big Picture Bible by Helm. We love the Child Story Bible by Voss. Those Child Story Bibles are great, but one mistake I think Christian families make is they only use the Story Bibles and not the Bible Bible. The problem with that is that those Story Bibles are not living and active. They are not the inspired Word of God. So we like to mix and match those two things together so that we're getting… Your Child Story Bible is really a commentary on the Bible written for children technically is what it is. That's great. It's very helpful and a good little vitamin boost, but we don't want to have those kids and grandkids skip the meal. Next thing, discussion. Uh, We're going to talk about what we read. We're going to ask two big questions. What truth do we learn from this passage, and how does that truth apply to our lives? What truth do we learn from the passage? How does the truth apply to our lives? Sometimes those conversations go older kids. Sometimes they go younger kids. Sometimes they fall flat, and nobody wants to talk. No big deal. Don't stress out. We're just going to give it a try tomorrow. Sometimes we go from uh, reading a Bible verse to, Johnny punched me in the mouth today in the neighborhood. Okay, fine. Let's talk about Johnny punching you in the mouth. Relax. It's okay. Um, Again, it's not Bible class that we're trying to get through a certain set of, of curriculum. Number five, prayer, prayer. One of the best ways to get more prayer going in your house is with uh, uh, an activity called high-low. We actually do this at the dinner table. High-low is, it goes like this. Hey, let's, uh, let's go around and uh, let's talk about the high part of our day. What was the best part of your day today? Oh, I had this and I had this. Hey, is there somebody that would be willing to uh, give God thanks and, and pray for the good things we just heard? Oh, yeah, I'll pray. Um, how about the low part? Anybody want to share a low? Yeah, I had this and yeah, I had this. Well, can someone pray and, and ask for God's help with those things? We never force our kids to share and we never force our kids to pray. I just don't think that's a good idea. I think you can warmly invite children to share, warmly invite children to, to pray, but I don't think it's a good idea to force them to, to do that. And particularly younger ones, you may have some younger ones that really love to pray and they get into it, but most kids actually um, feel a little insecure. They don't know what to say. So you can, if you have a child that seems to want to pray but not sure what to say, you can say, do you want me to help you pray? And you can do some like repeat after me's with that three-year-old grandchild or four-year-old child to help them kind of get their legs with, with how to pray and how to thank God for Jesus and confessing their sins and asking for, um, for His help. But that high-low, and the other reason that high-low is so helpful is in, in our busy families, there's a lot of highs that go by and a lot of lows that go by that never get shared in the home because we don't ever take the time to 
to share them with each other and kind of open our hearts together. So high-low is not only connecting us to the Lord, but it's also connecting us uh, to each other. Now, when it comes to... Um, uh, Sometimes we'll do confession time of, of our sins. Uh, the Bible says confess your sins one to another. So when we do that, I will say, okay, children, what sins do you have to confess today? No, that's not what I do. What I do is I say, hey, why don't we uh, just take some time and confess our sins if you feel led to do it. Dad's going to go first. Uh, God, I, I confess my sin of anger and I lost my cool, and I was harsh with Amy earlier today, and I know that that hurt her, and I know it hurts the kids when I'm impatient and harsh with her. And thank you that she's forgiven me. I just confess that to you. I thank you for your forgiveness through Christ, and I pray that you'd change my, my heart, uh, that you'd break this terrible habit I have of, of going from zero to 60 when I'm, when I'm frustrated. So if Dad prays like that, does that make it easier or harder for kids to pray? Easier, right? Exactly. So we need to demonstrate uh, to our children what it means to have a bumbling, stumbling, humble uh, relationship uh, with Christ. I tell you, a parenting scripture that has been convicting me, well, I shouldn't, it's not a parenting scripture, but it applies intensely to parenting. The Apostle Paul says to those that he is discipling, follow me as I follow Christ. Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Now, Paul's not saying I'm a perfect person, be perfect like me. That's not at all what he's saying. He's saying I'm bumbling and stumbling along in the grace and mercy of Jesus, and I want you to come with me. Can I look my children in the eye and say, follow me as I follow Christ? Imitate me as I imitate Christ. Not your dad's perfect and your dad has it all together, okay? When your dad falls short, do they see me humbly confessing and humbly repenting? I'm reminded of Solomon. Solomon writes to his son in Proverbs 23, 26. Solomon says to his son, my son, give me your heart. In other words, draw close to me, son. And he says, let your eyes observe my ways. Okay, let your eyes observe my ways. Solomon then goes on to warn his son against sexual sin. Solomon says, look at my life, son, let me warn you against sexual sin. Look how perfect and holy and noble I have been in this area of my life. Some of you are snickering because you know the biblical history. You're like, I don't think that sounds quite right. I don't remember a Solomon, right? This was not an area of holiness in Solomon's life. It was the opposite. So look, he says, son, let your eyes observe my ways. When he says that, he's not saying, look how perfectly your dad's done it. He's saying, look at the train wreck of your father's life. Don't do it like your dad, please. Chuck Stecker's got this beautiful phrase. He says, we want our ceiling to be our kid's floor. Do you get that? That, that? We want the best we've got, and Lord, I wish it was more. But by the grace of God, you've done some good in our life. At least I want my kids to start there. If there's any virtue by the grace of God in my life, I want my kids to have it. And whatever sins and brokenness there is in my life, I want it to stay in my generation. Kids, don't bring your dad's garbage into your life. Leave it in my generation. I want to give you a final closing and encouragement. I, I don't have the time right now to get into to catechism, maybe during in-between services. I'd be happy to, to talk with you about that. Um, by the way, out at the resource table, Ray and Rush are in charge uh, out there. If you really want to dig into what we're talking about in this hour, the visionary parenting 
uh, and grandparenting book and video series is what really presses into this brief introduction that I'm doing with you in this hour, a lot of how to pray and read the Bible without killing each other. But in my final moments, I want to encourage you or challenge you to, um, uh, to create a family worship room in your house, a family worship room in your house. We have these different rooms in our apartments or our homes, and we name them. So we have a bedroom because we go to bed there. Maybe you have a dining room because you dine there. Maybe the kids have a playroom because they play there. You name the rooms based on the main thing that happens in that room. So we have a family worship room in our house. In the middle of the family worship room is the prayer table. We bought the prayer table at Ikea. You guys have Ikea in this part of the world? You do? Okay. So we bought it at Ikea. I buy these things and have all this lumber and screws left over after I've got, I don't, that doesn't seem right to me. Whatever. But now you may be surprised. You're like, I don't know that the Swedish people sold prayer tables at Ikea. But they do. It's a special religious section. You got to ask the guy. He'll take you back to the prayer table area. No, this, um, <clears throat> it's rectangular and it's knee high. What do normal humans call this table? Coffee table, yes, but that's not what we call it. We call it the prayer table because when we gather for prayer, we get around the prayer table. There's also two uh, long things that uh, people sit on, puffy things. What do we call those? Couches, yes. Then there's a couple of square tables with lamps. What are those little tables called? Oh, interior design, yes. End tables, look at you. So can you picture the room in your mind? What do normal humans call this room? Living room family room. I was in Georgia. A woman said, oh, that's the parlor. Like, what are you talking about? It was a parlor. Whatever. But yeah, it's the living room. But that's not what we call it. We call it the family worship room. Why? Because that's the most important thing that happens in that room. And it builds into the culture in our home. Hey, it's time to clean up. JD, you're in charge of the kitchen. Ray and Rush, you're in charge of the family worship room. Laney, you're in charge of the bathroom. Hey, I left my coffee on the prayer table. Can somebody grab it for me? See, it's just sort of kind of built into what we do. I had a very special experience. God gave me this experience two times so that it would get, get burned in. Six years ago, we moved. And during the move process, we were out looking for houses to buy or rent, and we're out with a real estate agent. Okay, you're going to visit different potential places. And I had this happen on, on two occasions. Uh, we, we come to a house, and the real estate agent walks up the steps, and open the door. Now, my daughter, Lainey, who's 15 now, so she would have been about 10, she's my, like, eager beaver girl, all right? So she wants to get in first, see this thing. So Lainey is next, and I'm following Lainey. So real estate agent, Lainey, me. So I see Lainey. I'm sorry to give you the rear view, but this is what I, you're me, and I'm Lainey. Lainey jumps in the entryway of this house and goes like this. Dad, this could be the family worship room. Now we're getting somewhere. What would a 10-year-old be doing thinking like that? Why is she just looking for the spot that we're going we're gonna to do family worship? Because, listen, she knows that we're a desperate, needy group. And she knows that these bumbling, stumbling moments, sometimes they go well, sometimes they don't. This is like a, a meal, a spiritual meal with God for our family. And we're hungry, and we're hurting, and we're needy. Listen, the, the driver, hear me on this, the driver for family worship is not discipline. 
Now, there's some value in that. There's some value in discipline and diligence. The driver is neediness. Neediness. We need this time with God. We need this time in prayer. We need this time in His Word. Otherwise, we're we're pushing our family with our good intentions and our willpower, and we're exhausted and fighting all the time. We just need this engine going. I was asked the question. I'm going to share this, and then I'm going to pray. I was asked the question uh, in an interview because we were talking about praying in the home and reading the Bible in the home and singing in the home, and the interviewer said, man, you've got to be pretty religious to do stuff like that. I mean, church, fine, but doing this in your house. He said, he said what kind of family should do this? <laughs> and I said, really, only needy, struggling families. You know, families with marriage problems, kid problems, sibling problems, finance problems, medical problems, discouragement problems, church problems, neighbor problems, pretty much just them. <laughs> and you're like, wait a second, that sounds like me. Ding, 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 ding. We need this. God calls us to it. He knows that we need to gather in our homes for these bumbling, stumbling moments uh, with Him. And so my challenge to you again, back to my most intense moments, start somewhere. What are you doing right now? What's one small bumbling, stumbling step you could take with your kids, with your grandkids when they come over, whatever it is for your family situation? So I'm going to pray, and we're going to take a break, and then we're going to come back and, uh, and worship together, and we're going to press deeper. What I'm going to talk to you about in just a few minutes is how God can use your messed up family and my messed up family to make a difference in the world for Christ. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I thank you for the, the privilege of being with my brothers and sisters in Christ here. Thank you for their kindness in welcoming me and Ray and Rush uh, into their church family today. And uh, God, we being a Christian in our house is, is probably the hardest thing to do. And living for Christ at home is, is so difficult because we face so many challenges at, at home and we face so many spiritual attacks at home. And I would pray that this brief time this morning of just diving into Deuteronomy 6 seeing your very concrete call for us to have your word open in our homes for this time of family worship would encourage us, would convict us, and that you'd help every single family here take a baby step forward to have more family worship in their home. And I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.